February 21st. It feels like we're at uh, an important crossroads where things are, it feels ominous. I've been saying it feels ominous for the past mm-hmm. like month, but this new, these new variants, B117, the UK variant, I can't remember what the names of the other two are. The South African variant. These they're just growing slowly. The numbers no, they're growing quickly. Growing quickly. Um, but they don't outnumber our original strain yet. And so as our original strain comes down, yeah. we can't see in the case counts that the variant numbers are going up. Yeah. But according to reports from the province, B117 specifically is actually picking up speed. Yeah. It was growing at 7% a day and then 10% a day and now 14% per day. Yeah. And the overall numbers have in Ontario have been coming down and Toronto have been coming down. Today, just for the record, we're at 1,087 cases in Ontario and 344 of those are Toronto. And yeah, it's hard to say they've the the city of Toronto public health unit has been saying that they're transitioning their data system over to a different system, and so they've been saying over the last week or so that the numbers can fluctuate. So it's a little mm-hmm. unclear whether we can trust the numbers, mm-hmm. but but Toronto numbers have been dropping. But they just did the last couple of days. They flattened or started to upturn again. Yeah. We were just looking at that on howsmyflattening.ca. Uh-huh. Um, In Ontario or Toronto? Toronto. Even the Toronto Beep number. Boop. Yeah. Just an uptick. It's going up a bit and Ontario goes up a bit worse, which makes sense because Toronto is still... Toronto and Peel and where else are still on lockdown? Toronto and Peel, I think. Is yeah. that all? I think York goes back. Yeah. And the rest of the province sure. kind of transitioned into red or orange. Yeah. Anyway, so the Ontario Science Table, the COVID-19 Advisory for Ontario Science Table gave a presentation last week and where they were saying that because these variants are so much more transmissible, in order to suppress them, our R value, which usually we're very happy if, if it's below one, because that means that every one person is on average giving COVID to less than one person. So yeah. you're going to have a shrinking of cases. But with the new variants, because they're so much more transmissible, we actually have to keep our R value to 0.7 right now when we because we can't see the variant in our case counts because it's low enough that we can't see it. We can't see its growth. And so in, so right now what's happening is that the variants are growing exponentially while our original COVID cases are declining. And so we can't see that exponential growth, but it's happening. The R for the variants is greater than one. Yeah. And in order to keep the R value for the variance less than one, our overall R value needs to be 0.7, which we are not 
near. We're not achieving. Toronto is at point nine seven right now. Mm-hmm. Ontario is at point nine three, and the science table predicts that with an R an overall R value of point nine, that means that the variants are growing at an exponential rate the r value for the variance would be 1.26 and we would be into exponential growth by mid-march like over overall cases kind of flat it looks kind of flat for the next couple weeks and then ticking up in march so then this this data was presented on February 11th and following the presentation of this data you know the the plan in the province right now is to start reopening mm-hmm. s- sort of health unit by health unit or area by area and the one really excellent question from a journalist was so hold on what am i missing here and this was directed at Staney Brown who presented this data he he said what am i missing here it sounds like what you're saying is we're headed for a crisis and and it doesn't really make sense to be opening right now you know something along those lines Mm -hmm. and staney brown said uh nope you didn't miss anything (laughs) uh i can't remember exactly how he put it but he basically said there's you're right basically (laughs) said yeah that's what's gonna happen and then he just said but there are other factors involved in making these decisions yeah to just yeah so i mean that clip went viral on twitter because it's yeah. it just shows that like, despite the province saying that they're following the advice of experts they're really and scientists they're sci- not scientists there and so it's it seems inevitable like it's kind of yeah the third wave seems very inevitable, inevitable. Right based on the 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 current plan the province has for continuing to sort of reopen in Toronto and Peel they successfully argued to keep uh, to stay locked down till March seventh or eighth something like that while the other save schools except for schools schools, schools are, are open. schools have now opened for a week yeah we had one mm-hmm. week of schools that reopened but we're um, yeah it looks like we're walking into a third wave. Just walking, walking right into it. Like when it's predictable and... Walking into a closed door to get a broken nose. That's <laughs> what this is. <laughs> and so it's only a matter of time till we get the third wave and we'll have to go back into lockdown if they, if we manage mm-hmm. to even get out of, yeah. Right. So as our family situation, we have um, a kindergartner in school... And our younger son is in nursery school. And so we've been thinking like with these more transmissible variants out there, does that change our risk equation for having our kids in school and nursery school respectively? And I think for school, because our area specifically our neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods in Toronto still have low COVID counts. We're still feeling okay about our kindergartner, but nursery school is a different story. Nursery school has virtually no protocols in place once you're in the classroom to protect the kids from each other. They don't 
kids don't wear, wear masks, masks they age. don't social distance they yell and scream and pick their noses and hand you their bookers <laughs> and so with a more imagine an asymptomatic kid coming into the class with a more transmissible variant um like a good chunk a of the kids are gonna get scary it scary situation yeah like a good chunk of the kids are gonna get it spending all day together like there's just no Maybe it's not all day. It's two hours. Yeah. But even so, I think. It's not two hours. So we haven't made a decision yet because nursery school is very, very beneficial to Caden. We're, but we're in conversation with the school. The other thing is that if we pull him out because of COVID fears, we will lose our spot also. Yeah. That is dictated by city rules. So it's it feels like a very big decision that we're going to have to make very soon in the next couple weeks according to this modeling graph mm -hmm. so that's kind of what we're what we're struggling with right now as a family and yeah and adjusting with the back to school routines this was our first week back the other thing we've been thinking about is like the it's kind of the one year of covid a year ago europe was struggling and we're only a few weeks away from when it kind of hit here and we started to lock down and we've kind of been reflecting on what we were talking about last year and I remember that I talked a lot about Sweden mm -hmm. because I felt like Sweden was getting their approach to um, coronavirus was being unfairly maligned because mm -hmm. they were kind of, they were not locking down. They were kind of just having a mm, let's learn to live with it approach, mm -hmm. which was having... Very causing a lot of deaths in a in a very bad first wave. But I said, let's just wait and see. We have to wait and see mm -hmm. because maybe that strategy will pay off in the future, and that they'll reach some kind of equilibrium mm -hmm. where they can coexist with this virus, and their overall deaths, all cause mortality, might not be so high. And like the psychology of it all, like the people, you know, what happened in Ontario, you can definitely feel the first wave people listened to public health directives, stayed home, locked down. Mm -hmm. But then the second wave, it certainly felt like people did not listen as well. And, you know, there so like there's fatigue on the part of the public mm -hmm. to actually follow public public health guidance. It's not like you can just flick a switch and get people to do it what mm -hmm. you want them to. Mm -hmm. Right. So then a year later, I think we can say that the results are in. I would say Sweden's strategy was not successful. Mm -hmm. Their all-cause mortality was 12% higher than like compared to the year prior mm -hmm. um but at the same time 
it's not that much worse than a lot of other countries. I still think they were unfair. I think their strategy was like very poorly. Um, like the PR around it was bad. Yeah. They because one time somebody mentioned herd immunity, and even though they retracted that many times over, that's just people still say that that they were doing a herd that's immunity strategy. Yeah. That wasn't that was never the goal. Actually, their strategy, but they have a very comparable all-cause mortality to the Netherlands, uh-huh. also twelve percent higher to Croatia, to Egypt. They're lower than Switzerland, which has fourteen percent. Lower than Italy, which has 15%. Italy locked down, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Lower than Spain, which had 20%. So, like, Sweden, compared to a lot of its European countries, didn't do that bad. But Sweden happens to have its direct neighbors be Denmark and Finland, who had no excess mortality yeah. due to the coronavirus. They locked down and then opened back up again. And they did an excellent job. And those are Sweden's neighbors. So in comparison, they do look like they did a very horrible job. But if they would be kind of in mainland Europe, they would be looking pretty average. Yeah. So that's that's the results of the Sweden experiment. Oh, and Canada is on this, too. We have 4% according to this graph. But I don't think Canada's all-cause mortality data is very current so with our second wave it might be a bit higher than that but it wouldn't be a lot higher than that do they show australia on there yeah australia so japan malaysia costa rica australia philippines uruguay new zealand and mongolia all have fe- have had fewer deaths <coughs> compared right. with previous Normally, years yeah I mean, Australia, what we hear, what I've been hearing a little bit about is just that they're, you know, they have their sports events back on, like, there was one mm-hmm. case, and so they locked down, what what did they do? They locked down, they locked down, like, the whole country or a whole province for, like, three or four days or something to try that to... Australia or New Zealand? <coughs> was that New Zealand? Right. New Zealand locked down for three days. Anyways, yes, so, that's another thing I want to talk about. So... This concept that we thought might work in Sweden where you kind of let the virus simmer um, and learn to live with it, that is not a thing that will work ever anywhere. (laughs) I think that's what a year living with COVID has taught us. It's COVID zero Mm -hmm. or it's explosive waves. And COVID zero is the strategy of you are trying to prevent any community spread of covid in your area so public health should be aware of every single case of covid they should be able to trace it do contact tracing for it isolate all people around them support people in that isolation Mm -hmm. and stop it from spreading so that your society continues to function with and you assume that anybody who hasn't been contacted by public health is in fact covid free yeah because you are aware of all the covid every cases case and peep travelers coming in have to isolate and and that is how <laughs> countries like australia new zealand and vietnam and japan and thailand are 
and Denmark and Finland, like all these countries, that's how they're doing it. And there isn't another way to do it. There are a number of different strategies to achieve COVID zero. Like not every single country had the exact same plan, Mm -hmm. but you have to have a plan that, that meets, that achieves that goal of understanding where all the cases are. Mm -hmm. And we just don't have that. I mean, into Toronto's second wave, our public health literally announced that they couldn't keep up with contact tracing anymore and they were just going to abandon it. Well, they didn't announce it. I think it was like leaked. Like this was an internal document that got leaked. But yes, it came out that they could not, they decided they could not keep up with the volumes. Yeah. So the like tracing was, was dropped essentially. Yeah. But we just, in Ontario, we just can't get behind people just keep saying how we can't afford to lock down anymore it's too expensive yet adopting a covid zero strategy would prevent lockdowns Mm -hmm. and yet somehow we can't wrap our heads around that we can't give people paid sick days or isolation leave or like any of these things that would prevent community spread we just yeah. it's just not happening here and so here we are opening up again with an exponentially growing variant and we're just gonna walk right into wave three okay last thing we should talk about is asymptomatic testing in schools so before school went back in the government the Ontario government said they were going to organize part of the reason they were waiting to get even like think about opening schools up was because they wanted to get this testing in place and so now they have started asymptomatic testing since the last since whatever jurisdictions open schools and it looks like you know they released some numbers and it looks like the rates are under one percent for the yeah, I saw 0.86% for Ontario. So yeah. of the asymptomatic students, they tested 0.86% more positive. Yeah, it seems like their their plan is to test 5% of all schools in each health district and 2% of the students in each school where they test in any given week. So yeah, test in 5% of schools. And then 2% of those, 2% of those students in each school. I so wonder how they're doing these tests. I think it's, yeah, I think they figured out when it's like. Like are people, go, are nurses or whoever going into school I to do know. the testing? I guess so. But it's like voluntary. Like they must have to get parents permission. Like they mm-hmm. must, I don't know. We haven't heard. It's a bit surprising, I guess, that we haven't heard anything about no, that. No, it's not surprising because everything the Ontario government does is by the seat of its <laughs> pants. Like, I assume eventually, uh, like, Avery School will hear about this. And yeah, then well, we'll, have to, we'll get looped in eventually. And then, yeah, we'll have an option to get tested. Oh, can I do a last, last thing? Last, last thing, go. Another seat of the pants government thing yeah. was somebody stood up on Friday and announced that people over 80 would be eligible right. for their vaccines and that family doctors would be yeah. 
calling everybody and arranging yeah. this and the family doctors are like what <laughs> nobody told us this yeah. nobody has arranged anything there is no plan for this we don't have any vaccines we don't have a booking system we don't have anything and then the really sad part is that this morning mm. monday morning a bunch of seniors got up got dressed went out in a snowstorm to their doctor's office to try and get a vaccine because they heard that they could now they can but then they weren't there are no vaccines there is Mm. no system for this to happen i think so that made me feel sad yeah is the idea that people over 80 are within that first they got moved into that first group mm-hmm. so yeah whatever that idea. means whatever that means that somebody got up and like <sighs> yeah the communication is just so terrible and very sad in this case yeah. a lot of stories of sad 80 year olds mm-hmm. thinking they were going to get their vaccine and then not the good news is, I guess we're getting lots more vaccine. It sounds yes. like today or t- yesterday. Are they going to get their SHIT together to distribute it uh, properly? Uh, eventually. I mean, they will. It'll take time to ramp it up, but I'm sure they will. Is there anything um, else you, you need to say? No, I just have a very bad joke to share. Oh, good. Um, so the joke is that sometimes I wonder if all this is happening in the world because I didn't forward that email to 10 people. <laughs> it's a reference to chain mail. I remember chain mail. Avery got his first chain <laughs> mail this week. Very exciting. Stickers. Stickers. You have to, they actually have to do that and send stickers to all these children now. Yep. Anyways, okay. That's Bye it. time. Good night. Good night. <laughs>